All right, it is 9.30. Well, let's get started. So today we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines, which is everybody wants to earn their salvation, so I figured it's a good opening. Um, let's start in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear uh, the truth from your word, that you would convict us with your spirit, uh, that you would give me clarity and the ability to convey your truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I picked this topic because I knew Lent was coming, and I'm always fascinated by Lent of being Protestant, Presbyterian. Should I fast? I, I don't know. Isn't that what Catholics do? And not knowing enough about it, I wanted to dive more into that because Jesus talks about fasting. There's a bunch of fasts in the Old Testament. Is it something that we're called to continue to do? Or as we get more into it, is it a Old Testament and strictly Roman thing that, hey, Jesus said we're going to fast when the bridegroom is not here, but when he is here, we, we rejoice and we have joy because fasting is characterized by joy, I'm sorry, by, by sorrow and feasting by joy. So the fasting feasting. So we'll dive more into that, but first I wanted to give a, uh, as I studied it more, this book, Don Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life is a lot of help among other places, but this give it gives a very good overview. It is a, it gave me the realization that we can't just start with fasting. There's a, a much broader umbrella with the disciplines. So the first part of the, the handout, if you didn't get one, it's in the back. Uh, we're going to discuss the disciplines more generally, and then we'll get into fasting in particular. Plus, if I ever do this again, I have a lot of other disciplines I can pick from to, to speak on. Um, so he opens up this book with the, I think it's the first page, first sentence of the, the first chapter, Discipline without direction is drudgery. I don't know how many of you have had that experience of learning an instrument or playing a sport or doing something new. There's a lot of basics that you have to practice over and over and over. And if we don't have a vision for what that's going to get us, we typically burn out pretty quick. If I'm kicking a soccer ball against a wall back and forth or practicing scales on a piano or anything of those nature, not knowing why we do it or what it's going to get us in the future takes away our motivation to continue to do it. We burn out. In the same way, the spiritual dis disciplines, if we don't know what they're for, simply praying or fasting or reading your Bible or the, the quiet time, if we're doing it just to check a box because we know that scripture tells us to do it, we lose a lot of the reason or we don't have a reason um, and we lose a lot of the, the benefit of it. But when we realize that the purpose of any of these disciplines that are outlined in scripture are for godliness, to, to make us more godly, we are called to be holy as our heavenly father is holy. That and, and the way that that happens is through disciplining not our bodies like in sports, but our minds and our spirits and our wills according to scripture. So there's a quote here from page 17. The spiritual disciplines are those personal and corporate disciplines that promote spiritual growth. 
They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. So our direction, our destiny as Christians is godliness. It's the conformity to Christ. As talked about in uh, Romans 8, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. First uh, John, Hebrews 12, uh, there's a lot of these. I, I put scripture in here. I'm not going to have time to look at all of them or read all of them, so I have them so you can reference. But there, there's myriad scripture that says our goal as Christians is to glorify God and to be conformed to the image of his son. The way that that happens, and I'm skipping down a little bit, God uses three primary means to change us. Two of them we have almost no control over. The people that he brings into our lives and the circumstances he puts us in. Those are the crucibles or the encouragement. Iron sharpens iron, uh, so a friend sharpens another. Or enemies that grind off your rough edges because you have to deal with them. Or children who grind off your rough edges because you have to deal with them. Uh, however, the third way and probably the m one of the more particular or most important ways are the spiritual disciplines. And I talked with my wife, w talking through this with my wife, she said, well, what about scripture and the, the Holy Spirit? Like, well, that falls within the spiritual disciplines. Although we're not starting there in this book, he highlights first foremost is the intake of Holy Scripture. That it's, it's hearing the word, the, the preaching of the word, it's reading, your, your, uh, reading the Bible, as a whole, and then it's reading it devotionally or, or in a study. So it's exposing yourself and, and having that intake, and that's the primary means through which the Spirit changes our hearts. However, there are many other disciplines, uh, reflection, meditation, fasting. Uh, I guess I didn't spend a whole lot of time. I'll just look through his. Say what? How about the sacraments? The sacraments? I don't know if we would consider those within disciplines, but within how God changes you, yes. Yes, so maybe that category is not entirely uh, <laughs> comprehensive of those three categories. Prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, learning, and perseverance in the disciplines. That's how he outlines them. But yes, sacraments. As a history, or maybe as an etymology, 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 the word discipline, the Greek word for discipline is, if somebody speaks Greek, gymnasia, but it's the word that we get gymnasium from. So w it is a discipline or a training, just like we go to the gym and we exercise or we, we train for a particular sport or for a job. Um, it is that same word that Paul uses in First Timothy 4, we train ourselves or discipline our yourself for the purpose of godliness. And the kind of a through all the sources that I looked at, the, there was a continual or repeated concept of the disciplines do not demand the grace of God, but what they do is they shape your heart and help, your, help to put yourself in the path of God's grace. They are not a means by which we obligate God to do something for us. In most cases, they reshape our own hearts and allow us or open us to be more impacted or changed by the, the Holy Spirit. 
because what we have to remember is that growth and holiness is a gift from the Lord. John 17, 17, 1 Thessalonians, Hebrews 2. Yet, keeping in mind Philippians uh, 2, 13, where it says, it is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who wills and works within us. So we work, and he actually does the work. That, that paradox within it. So w- with all of that in mind, as Christians, holiness is a command. It's not an option. He doesn't say, you should do this, or this is a good idea. It's be holy, therefore, as your heavenly, or be therefore holy, or be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. There's not a lot of wiggle room in there. Matthew 10, I'm sorry, Matthew 11, 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me. Luke 9, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And each of these disciplines, even fasting, were modeled by Christ. When we don't have discipline, and I like this illustration, it gives us the, the concept of, do you want to be a, a flood or do you want to be a river uh, and with deep channels that actually moves things or do you want to do a flood that causes a lot of damage where you're a mile wide but an inch deep compared to v- very narrow and very focused but very deep and powerful and effective. So don't be a dabbler. I like that, so I wrote that down. Having a lack of discipline or spiritual discipline sabotages our effectiveness for the kingdom. And I know I am, first and foremost, guilty of that, having been a Christian for uh, several, two, three-plus decades. uh, I'm still learning, and I'm still realizing how much I do not do of these things. And then with the... uh, it closes that first chapter of talking about the spiritual disciplines in general with this concept of the paradox of freedom. We are most free when bound, but the character of the binding is critical. And it's a little bit obtuse how he says it, but the concept being when you have a, a, a when you have disciplined and trained your body, when you really have, or you're a particular skill set, you experience or you show mastery where you have spent the most time developing yourself. It is hard or maybe impossible to be a a high level sports or uh, a musician without having put in the long hours and years of of doing the the minutia and the um, (laughs) tedious discipline. Yet, uh, as Elizabeth Elliot says, freedom is the final reward of discipline. As we have done that, it opens us and our ability to experience freedom in those things that we have trained for, where you're no longer thinking about how to do the little things. It's just muscle memory, or it is, it is so habitual and ingrained that it, 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 it just flows naturally. So with that com- overview of the disciplines itself, let's talk a little more about fasting. Nobody, or I suppose, nobody wants to give up food. I particularly like food. I eat a lot of food. Um, and I have to move a lot to not be able to continue moving. However, spirit, this, the, the discipline of fasting is not for physical weight loss purposes. There is a medical fast, but that's not what we're talking about here. So let's define our terms. What is fasting? 
that Christians voluntary abstinence from food or activity for spiritual purposes for a period of time. So it's a, it's a Christian thing because it is for spiritual purposes. There are other fasts, but for the purpose of our conversation, it is having a medical fast of I'm giving up food for weight loss or for some other medical reason does not give us spiritual eternal benefits. It's voluntary because while we are commanded or expected to fast in scripture, it is not at specific times, it is not for specific reasons, or I'm sorry, it's not for specific uh, periods of time, and it is not the same for everybody. There's not a black and white, this time of year, you need to fast for 40 days or for three days, or you need to give up alcohol, you need to give up two meals or one meal or any of those. There's not specific uh, commands on how or direction on how to do it. However, there are principles, which we'll talk about. And then it's abstinence. It is abstaining or not intaking a food, uh, biblically speaking. There are other, uh, the same principles also apply to activities, anything that really demands and takes away our attention from, from Christ. And then for spiritual purposes for a period of time. So it can be for one meal where you take that and you instead of eating a meal at lunch, you pray through lunch or you use that money that you were going to spend to give to somebody else who is in need. For those types of things, it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. The objects of fasts are good things. The things we are abstaining from are not sins. We are called to mortify those, not give them up for a short time and then go back to them. So that's, I'm not going to fast from lying or cheating on my taxes. I'm going to stop doing that, according to scripture. Uh, there's several types of fast. There's the, the normal, where it's all food that you're abstaining from. There's a partial, where you have just a limitation of food. There's an absolute fast in scripture, Old Testament, or even Jesus. Uh, all food and all drink. And then it says, though not explicitly biblical, can be applied to other activities. Otherwise, good activities. I have TV, social media, movies as, as examples. All those can be good things. All those can be idols as well, just like any good thing. But even the, the beneficial aspects of those, by abstaining from and turning away from them for a time to be able to refocus or devote our attention on God and on, on scripture and on others is, would be the purpose of the fast. Um, there are other, the other types, you can have a personal fast, just you. You can have a congregational fast, or it could be at a family level, it could be at a church level, even a national fast. There were several in the Old Testament. What I didn't know is that three of our presidents actually called for national fasts. Um, Lincoln during the Civil War and then Adams Madison, Madison earlier on. And they can be regular or occasional fasts. So they could be something you do at regular intervals or they could be upon the prompting the Holy Spirit to do a fast at a specific time. So I like this definition of, that I read somewhere. In discussing fasting, it's when your passion for God is so great that you channel all other natural passions into your passion for God. 
or another here, fasting can be an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God. I like that one because it's back to the, the discipline, the first section of where we are where we are looking at the, the things that we have done to conform our minds, conform our bodies to serve Christ. As, as people, as Christians, or just as humans, we are not just a soul in a body. We are both body and soul. And there are components of our worship that include both the body and, and include the mind or the soul. So to have one aspect of that to show our discipline to our body, be willing to give up something that we know that we need in order to refocus on the spiritual side for a time. We're not starving ourselves to do this. We're doing it for a, a specific time and a specific purpose. And then there, there was one here with um, Irish preacher, David Leggy. I think, how they pronounce it, but prayer, as prayer is attaching yourself to God, fasting is detaching yourself from the earth. And it talks about it, uh, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but fasting, particularly with re regard to prayer, uh, I think it was Piper said, it, it puts an edge on your prayers. It, it, it's like saying, please, 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 when a kid begs you for something. It may not actually change God's mind or my mind as a, an adult, but it shows, or as a parent, but it shows the uh, extent of what we are willing to do and how much of ourselves we have put into this request. So, as I talked a little bit before, fasting in general, isn't that just an Old Testament or a Catholic practice? Are we still called to do it? Is that still something that is part of our reform tradition? And because there's no specific command in the to fast in the New Testament, where, where do we look? And while there's no specific command, as I said, there are principles, notably from Jesus, who in Matthew 6, uh, Sermon on the Mount, in, in the thread of when you pray, do it uh, in your closet. When you give, do it secretly, it's not like the Pharisees, and when you fast, it's not a if you fast or if this appeals to you, go ahead and do it, but when you do it, do it secretly so your father who sees in heaven will reward you in secret. That is what, that's what obtains the reward of these things. It's not, oh, look at me, I'm fasting, I'm thin, I'm gaunt, uh, but he, it, Jesus actually says, put oil on your face or anoint your face so that you do not appeal to men for the, the reward. You're not trying to get the approbation, affirmation of men, but you're looking to do it specifically for God. Uh, the practice is continued into Acts into the early church, so it is not something that I, I read in one particular case, I think it was an OPC guy, was saying, oh, well, feasting, fasting, the bridegroom is now with us, we have the spirit, we don't need to fast anymore. And I, I wrestled with that a little bit, but looking through, seeing the practice continue after the ascension, because the, the way that the, uh, I think it was Van Drunen, was, was talking about it, because 
when John's disciples came to Jesus and said, why don't your uh, disciples fast? And he says, well, they are with the bridegroom. When people are with the bridegroom, they do not fast. But when the bridegroom is gone, then they fast. So the interpretation was between the crucifixion and the resurrection or the ascension, they would fast, the, his disciples would fast then, but the argument was we have the spirit who comes out from the, the father and the son, as we've been talking about previous, uh, hmm, previous Sunday school lessons. The, 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 the bridegroom is still with us, so we don't fast. But we see evidence of uh, Paul fasting, the elders and the deacons fasting before laying on of hands um, in ordination, uh, and all this in the early church, the early church fathers did it. So it's not just the Old Testament and crucifixion, resurrection interim. However, because we are Americans and we like to have uh, all of our needs and our wants uh, s fulfilled instantaneously, it's hard to give up things. One, was, one phrase was uh, the overstuffed bellies of the American church. We don't find a lot of suffering in our American church. So we, we certainly don't look for it. And the same David Leggy, if prayer is rare in the church today, fasting must also be extinct. And ironically, maybe, I found that I was much better at fasting prior to being reformed because when I have to earn my salvation or the rewards in heaven or those things, I have a lot more of that specific motivation. And I'm sure that has more to do with my not understanding the gospel than it has to do with misunderstanding of the, the doctrines of grace, but that's the real impact that I struggle with of, well, I don't do the, the quiet time because, oh, well, quiet time is, is just a checkbox. So it's, you do think, it, 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 the, all of the spiritual disciplines, I don't have the same motivation to do them when my eternal soul is dependent upon it. But as I study more in this, my salvation, my justification is not dependent upon it, but my sanctification is greatly moved ahead by them. And it, it gives me with the base or the, the foundation of my justification rather than the kind of default mode that we have of switching those up of we look to our justification, we look to our sanctification for evidence of our justification. Uh, I think that that is a, a real struggle that we all have, or at least I do. So kind of on the Catholic side, I, I did a little bit of research on what Catholics think about or how they look at fasting, uh, the origins of it. Adam placed his faith in food rather than in the father, and he ate the fruit with Eve. So fasting, he didn't, that was the first fast that he was supposed to do because God called him to uh, abstain from that, and he did not. Uh, another concept or principle from the, the Latin church, all fasting is preparatory with the ultimate fulfillment by the Eucharist or communion. And then Lenten fasting in particular is a period of preparation for Easter. There's, there's three components, the fasting or the prayer, fasting and almsgiving. <laughs> what I didn't know is that it's, an act, it's considered an obligatory f fast if you're between the ages of 18 and 59, don't have other medical conditions, that you, on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday of every year, you fast. 
It means you skip one meal, I'm sorry, you, you, you can have one meal and two smaller meals, which add up to less than two meals in, in total. You can do a complete fast where you're not having any food. Uh, and then every Friday on Lent or during Lent, you abstain from meat. I did not know that that was obligatory. Uh, but the other day I was at a, a work function on Ash Wednesday and I, I saw a few of the, the crosses and thought, hmm, there's things that I don't know enough about. So then Whitney gets into five, I'm sorry, ten different sections of the purpose of fasting and what it does and why we do it. So there's the purpose of strengthening prayer and putting an edge on our prayers, as was said by, I think, Piper, mentioned prior. And I'll read a few of these. We don't have time to get through all of them. So in Ezra 8.23, where we got it. So they're fasting for prayer and protection. Uh, and so, so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. And in Joel and in Acts, let's see, Joel was 12 and 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So we, we see the fast. So that would be the, the strengthening of prayer, putting an edge on our prayers. We see fast for seeking God's guidance. Um, Judges 20 is where should we go attack? Should we do these things? And there, David, there were multiple examples of David in the sermon series we, that Pastor Tim just finished, fasting or not seeking the Lord's guidance prior and the results that that gave. Uh, Acts, where was it? Acts 14. I don't have that one up. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they had, in whom they had believed. So we see fast for seeking God's guidance. We see fast for expressing grief. Uh, we saw that in Job. We see, saw that in Samuel, first and second. Uh, we see a fast seeking deliverance and protection in Chronicles. quickly so this is Joseph, uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer uh, so the Moabites Ammonites and some of them Mayunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle the men came to Jehoshaphat and said a great multitude is coming against you and then he was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a, fla proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Oh, we see fast for the purpose of expressing repentance and returning to God. Say most notably there, uh, or the two of them, First Samuel 7, which is uh, with David and Bathsheba. No, oh, no, it's earlier than that. Uh, but the Jonah one is what I was thinking of. When Jonah came to finally, got to Nineveh and said, I'm going to destroy this place 
or God is going to destroy this place in 40 days unless you repent. And Jonah's thinking, please, please, please don't. Uh, but the king of Nineveh called on the, the entire nation to fast. And then he tore his robe, put sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes, even including the, the animals, which I had not uh, really looked into prior. But just uh, the whole nation was... <laughs> mourning their loss, or mourning their, their sin, I'm sorry, and grieving over that. And it turned, the Lord turned to his face to them in mercy. As the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them be call and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that in his, is in his hands. So the repentance and returning God to God. Number six, we have humbling oneself before God. First uh, Kings twenty one. If you guys want to help look at some of these other ones ahead, Nehemiah and Isaiah and Matthew, I can have you read as we get to them. First Kings 21. This was supposed to be easy. So this is Ahab's repentance which is fun. Oh, thank you. So when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, put, on, put sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. So even Ahab with Jezebel and all of the technicolor sins of his time, even then when he showed repentance and fasting, it did not uh, get rid of the consequences. It delayed them to the next generation. And it, it showed that even he had humbled himself before God. In Psalm 35, 13, but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. And number seven, or sec uh, category seven of the purpose of fasting is expressing concern for the work of God. In Nehemiah 1, uh, verses three and four, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In Daniel 9, then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth of ashes. This same concern, and work for the concern for the work of the Lord could be for the salvation of a, uh, a coworker or a family member and, and fasting and showing both to ourselves the me or maybe not showing to ourselves but exhibiting to God 
this is something that really does burden us, and it, it changes our, our, our own self as we incorporate the physical components of grief or, or earnest desire, we realize, or we can realize other things that we do, uh, and at the end of the day, we are using the gospel to take the focus off of ourselves, to, to curve ourselves outward, rather than our default inward curve nature. Um, can be for ministering to the needs of others, Isaiah 58, why have we fasted and you not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you, only fa you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a, a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So the purpose of the uh, uh, the Lord is admonishing through Isaiah, it's not simply to have an outward component of you deny yourself, but it is also to care for the, those around you, minister to their needs. Uh, fast is for overcoming temptation and dedicating yourself to God. This is Jesus' fast for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Uh, and after, I love this one, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I, I would think so. And then the tempter came to him and said, if you were the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. If you were the son of God, throw yourself down. He will command his, and Christ responded, he will command his, oh, sorry, that's still devil talking. Probably should get that straight. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Christ responds, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then lastly, we use a fast to express love and worship to God. So we're Luke's, uh, our G in Luke 2, Jesus presented the temple, and we meet Anna the prophetess, uh, whose life was characterized by fasting. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she did, for over 50 years, depending how old she actually was, or how long, when she got married, uh, over 50 years, she lived as a widow, and her life was characterized by prayer, worship with fasting and prayer night and day. Probably wasn't the sense that she didn't eat at all, because that would be hard to live that long without anything to eat, but she had periodic and consistent fasting so that it, her life was characterized by it as a way to express her love and her worship. So a couple of the benefits 
as we talk about. We, this is a little how I laid this out. You've got the purpose, you've got what it is. There's benefits kind of overlap with a lot of these purposes, but uh, as a general whole, fasting and denying our bodies points out our own contingency. It points out our own need for physical things and that we cannot exist on our own. And when we use that to correlate or to extrapolate to our, our spiritual food, we need, just like we need food and we need the, our body to be nourished, we need our spirits to be nourished by the word of God. We need to recognize that even though we don't see it, that's as much as or even a, a much greater need for our eternal souls, our eternal uh, who we are as humans, that feeding our, our minds and feeding our spirits with Christ, feeding it with the, uh, the spirit through prayer, through uh, Bible study, meditation, all of those things, we are not just bodies. By fasting and denying that uh, appetite or attention for a time, it allows us to refocus on those deeper unseen things. Through self-denial, we, we can also begin to see what really controls us. Uh, Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, is a really seminal one for me for just what idols can be. Most idols that control people are all good things. They are good things that are given ultimate place or importance in our lives. And food may be an idol for you, it may be an idol for me, but by recognizing that we are controlled by things, we can refocus on our need for Christ. And that this shouldn't uh, drive us to despair, realizing we can't do it on our own. But it gives us even more faith and more hope and reliance on the gospel. Man does not live by bread alone, as Christ said. Uh, some of the dangers, uh, obviously there's the physical side. If you have uh, medical restrictions, check with your doctor before doing a fast. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I couldn't say one way or the other there. Uh, but more deep, the deeper danger are the spiritual fast. Just like any discipline, just like anything we do, we can do it for the wrong reasons. If we fast and we do it just so that other people know about it, or just maybe other people don't know about it, but I still check that box and now God owes me, that hypocrisy or that that heart motivation within to either manipulate God to get what I want rather than to conform me to his will or to obtain praise from men, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, that the Pharisees got their reward already. They don't, if that's what you're going for, great. You can say it that way, but there are, uh, you, you basically use up all of that effort for something that's gonna burn away. And says, any acts of righteousness lend themselves very keenly to hypocrisy if we do not do them with the right heart. And this is from a book in the 80s, I believe, uh, David Smith. Any blessing which is bestowed by the Father upon his under undeserving children, I have underserving, that's not right, undeserving children must be considered to be an act of grace. We fail to appreciate the mercy 
of the Lord if we think that by our doing something, we have forced or even coerced God to grant that blessing which we have asked for. All of our fasting, therefore, must be on this basis. We should use it as a scriptural means whereby we are melted into a more complete realization of the purposes of the Lord in our life, church, community, and nation. I really like that one as a, just setting the tone of what the dangers are and what the benefits really are for fasting. There's many good things that can come of it. I intend to incorporate it more often than I have, which is really easy to do, um, considering I don't think I've done it in many, many years for a spiritual purpose. Um, but I commend it to you and this book in general, Spiritual Disciplines, they are not simply to earn your salvation or to make God like you more. He does that all on his own, but he does call us to discipline our bodies, to, to be in prayer, to uh, meditate, to do all of these things uh, within the right context and for the right reasons. So with that, any questions? Was that good? Yes. Oh. Of course it's Jeff. I, I just wanted to know what the uh, last verse you had read was, uh, just the address. And am I right when you said that it's, uh, it talked about like having the right heart uh, when we do this, not to do it for the wrong reasons, right? Um, the last thing I had read was a quote from a, a book. It's on the, the handout, but the last... Uh, verses I had read were from Luke on uh, Anna, the prophetess Anna. So, unless I'm missing something. Oh, the, the quote from David Legge, the acts of righteousness lend themselves very keenly to hypocrisy if we do not do them with the right heart. That was from a, a sermon that I had read. Yes, sir. Uh-oh. Andy, I was just wondering that if in all your reading, if you were able to find a reason why fasting is no longer commonplace in the American church or the worldwide church, I don't know me. I know, and I'm not going to include Catholics into that category, but the base did, I just, is there a reason why we don't really hear much about fasting? The glib reason, I think, is the decline overall of the, uh, the disciplines in general unless they are used for, uh, Pentecostalism still has a, a fairly robust fasting component to it. Um, but from a standpoint of prayer in general or study of scripture, that the different stats of Christians who read the Bible regularly are, are dismal or even abysmal, that uh, even 10 or 15 years ago, some of the stats that less than 11% and like 89% of statistics are made up on the spot. So 11% uh, of Christians read their Bible less than once a week, and more than half hadn't read it in the last year. So as a correlation or extrapolation of that to fasting for a spiritual purpose, I, I can't say what the underlying or all the underlying reasons are, but we're soft and and fat. 
Anybody else? All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we had to learn about spiritual disciplines and how we can train our bodies and train our minds to become more like Christ, that we can show sacrifice for the things of our creature comforts, for our the things that we want and reorganize and reorient our lives to the things that you call us to do. Pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and would teach us to do things for the right reasons, not for the praise of men or not to obligate you. Be with us, uh, be with Pastor Tim as he preaches, and may our hearts be open to hear your word. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.